Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How's it going today? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Here we are. Another week of real personal finance. Ready to talk more personal finance. What are yeah, we talking we have about a listener. Today? Have a listener question today. Thank you so much for your listener questions. If you have one, please submit it at realpersonalfinance.co. And if you've enjoyed the show, please take a minute to just rate us or leave a review so that other people can find us. We have to help you all become financially literate as a nation so we can stop the podcast. So (laughs) we need to do one of those, um, what what do you call them? Like uh, just status trackers. Status tracker for the nation. People see how far we are. Yeah. I think we have a ways to go. Long time before we cross the chasm. All right. But today we do have a listener question. Um, Thank you, Chris, for submitting it. And uh, so let's dive right in. So it's Hi, Scott and James. Big fan and have uh, been learning a ton. Thank you so much for spreading this valuable information to the masses. You are welcome, Chris. What is your stance on dividend investing? with the goal of reaching a point where one can live off of, in quotes, passive income from dividend exchange-traded funds or mutual funds. I've been reading a lot on the dividend subreddit where people are sharing their spreadsheets and screenshots of investments, and it seems like a very compelling strategy. What are the pros and cons of investing heavily in dividend ETFs with the hope of building a passive income stream? Mm, Good and pretty common question. Yeah. Dividend investing. Companies paying money. We you know, it's like interesting because it. like I haven't it. heard the dividend investing question for a while, but I think it's timely with markets yeah. doing what they're doing. It's it's good for it to be back. It is. And as Chris mentioned, there are pros and cons. There are good aspects to this. There's, I don't want to call them bad aspects, but just things to know. So we'll talk about yeah. as an investor, what should you be knowing? But the first thing, and this is maybe not what Chris was asking, but the first thing is we see a lot of people posting stuff on subreddits and screenshots and all this stuff. And the first thing is almost take all that with a grain of salt. Yeah, buyer beware for sure. Buyer beware. People are showing you their wins. People are showing you stuff that they want the world to see. People aren't sharing stuff that they don't want the world to see. So be careful when you're looking at someone else's screenshot. It's hardly ever as good as it actually seems to be when you're looking at that. So just a quick aside. But with dividend investing, there are some benefits. There are some downsides, and we'll discuss it. Yeah. Can we just start, though, for an audience that may not know, what is a dividend? Yes, that's a good place to start. So So, do you want to? Can we just, I'll give it a shot and you'll add color. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Color's ready. Okay, cool. So let's say that I'm a company. Well, let's say there, let's just give a company. Actually, I'll just bring one up real quick because I can think like AT&T. I was actually, yeah, AT&T will be a good one. So just T is the ticker. So AT&T today has a dividend. 
yield of 5.41%. So what, what does that even mean? <laughs> it basically means if, if you buy the stock today, the stock's worth $20.53 a share the day we're recording. And it basically means over the next year, it's going to pay out about a dollar and 11 cents a share to its owners. So you own the company, you, you buy the stock, you just buy one share, $20.53. And over the course of the next year, regardless of whether the stock goes up or down in price, the company is going to send you in the mailbox a dollar and 11 cents. Yep. Makes sense. not in the mailbox anymore, but that's how it used to be. But it's passive. It's literally mailbox money. But, but here's the couple caveats to think through here as we start discussing this. Why would they send me that cash? They're sending it back to the shareholders. It's not just a thank you. They're sending it to us as a profit. That means they actually are making money, which is great. It also means they're choosing not to reinvest all of the money back into the company. Yeah. It's just one thing that it means. And another thing that it means is let's just pretend for a second that they paid all of that on one day. So it's what, $20.53 today and a dollar. I'm just going to say it's only going to pay a dollar right now instead of a dollar 11 because I don't want to do math. It's late in the math afternoon. Easy. If it paid the dividend tomorrow and nothing else changed, the stock price would go from $20.53 to $19.53. It would just pay out the dollar to every owner and the company would be worth $1 less a share. Yeah. Just returning equity to the owners through cash flow. Yeah. And this goes back to the whole thing. Why do we buy stocks in the first place? We're, we're not yeah. just putting money into something that we hope goes up. We are putting money into something that we do hope goes up, but there's a reason we hope it goes up. And the reason is we're buying the rights to that company's future cash flows and profits and revenue. Yes. And as those companies generate profits and revenue, they are publicly held. They're publicly owned. And what do companies do when there's income in excess of expenses? Well, they either take those profits and reinvest them in the company or they pay it out to shareholders or both. When they pay it out to shareholders, that's exactly what a dividend is. It's mm -hmm. AT&T collecting income, paying its expenses, saying, okay, there's this level of profit left over. We're going to distribute, I forget exactly what you said, Scott, but I think $5.41 per share worth of- 5.41%, a dollar 11 cents a share. Yeah. I'm sorry. 5.41% yeah. of whatever the share price is yep. to shareholders. So that is why we buy companies or why we buy stocks is because they do have profits and dividends is one of the main ways that companies compensate their shareholders. Now, there's some benefits to that. I think the first is it's not necessarily tangible in the sense that you're touching the dividend, but it feels real. You know, you're buying Absolutely. an investment. It feels real to get that cash return to you, even if it's just in your brokerage account. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's monthly or quarterly or annually, depending upon when your stock or fund is paying its dividends, it's kind of nice to see, oh, I received dividends. You say, it's a tangible reminder that you're an owner of these investments and you're getting compensated for, for doing that. It feels more real than just hoping that things go up sometimes. You know, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about total return and, and kind of our preferences, but as opposed to just hoping things appreciate the dividend, you know, you can count on it. Even if the stock price is fluctuating a little bit, it's nice to know that, okay, there's something I can count on here. 
in the form of a cash dividend. Oh, it's, it's totally psychological, but it works, right? Like we use AT&T for our provider of our cell phone company, right? My iPhone right here. If I buy AT&T stock, I can get my dividend payment back, which can help me pay my cell phone bill. Yeah, there we <laughs> awesome. go. Awesome. It wins. Yeah. I don't have to worry about does the stock price go up or down in their battle between T-Mobile and Verizon, yeah. right? They're just going to send me that dividend check. At least that's my thought process on it. Yeah. Right. Of course, companies can choose to change their dividend policy. Companies can choose to change their dividend policy, and they do at times. Now, as a whole, the good news is dividends tend to go up. Yes. And if we look at that, you know, if we go back to 1960, the dividend on the S&P 500, so the 500 companies or so in the S&P 500, it was $1.98. In 2020, that dividend had increased to $56.70. So that's a growth rate of about 6% per year, meaning not only are companies paying dividends, but those dividends are tending to increase at about 6% per year over time, which is right. nice, especially considering inflation over that same time period was about 3 3.5% or so. So yeah. not only are you getting income, especially if you're maybe in retirement or if you want to live on some of this but that income is increasing faster than the general rate of inflation, at least on average. Right. And that's including the 1970s and early 80s, which had a very high inflation rate built into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, now, what about this? You know, stocks go down. We were in mm -hmm. a downturn right now as of this recording. Mm -hmm. Do dividends typically stick around when stock markets go down? Do dividend payments go away when they go down? What, yeah, what so does history show us? We have some data on that as well. You know, in the in the 70s, the 73 to 74 time period, stock market was down over 50%. But during that time period, the dividend payers inside the S&P didn't change their policy at all, didn't change their dividends, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, which is nice. Yep. So you still got your paycheck from the dividend payer, even though your value of your stocks went down. The 2000 to 2002, we saw, again, saw a 50% drop in the S&P 500. Dividends in the S&P declined by 2% during that period of time. A little bit yeah. of a haircut. So didn't really change much. Mm -mm. Yeah. And then October 2007 to March 2009, so that's you know obviously during the, the financial crisis, we saw dividends decrease by 23%, but the S&P fell by 57%. So there seems to be some, some resiliency there. Yeah, there's some stickiness, which if you're counting on dividend income to live on, you want to know that that dividend is going to be fairly consistent. It's not going to do you much good if that dividend drops 40%, if the market drops 40%. You want something yeah. that at least as much as possible is, is going to be pretty consistent. So that's a major benefit. There are benefits to dividend investing. There's also some downsides. So one of the downsides is maybe just opportunity cost. And going back to our example earlier, why do we buy a company? Well, we buy a company or we invest in stocks because that stock is going to generate profits. Mm -hmm. One of the way that company distributes profits is through dividends. The other way is through reinvesting in itself, whether through buybacks or just reinvesting in future growth opportunities. And if you think about it, let's say you're a company and you have profits at the end of the year. If you have a board of directors, they're going to say, okay, let's look at these profits do we see really attractive growth opportunities to increase the value of our shareholders' capital even more? If so, let's reinvest the money there. Or 
do we not necessarily see so much of that? And if not, maybe the best thing we should do is just give cash to the shareholders in the form of a dividend. So yes, dividends are nice, but typically some of the highest growth companies that have the best growth prospects, they're not paying dividends. You know, look at Amazon, right. for example, maybe the most successful company ever since its IPO, it's not going to pay a dividend. It's saying there's way mm-hmm. too many growth opportunities for us to increase the value of our shareholders' money by reinvesting in ourselves and expanding what we're doing and just increasing the stock value of shareholder stock, way more impactful than paying a little bit of a dividend. Facebook, Google, a lot of these types of companies, they haven't paid dividends and that's the reason. So the majority of the companies in the S&P 500, about 85% of them, they do pay dividends of some sort, some much higher dividends than others, but many of them don't. And it's because there's other opportunities. And the other side of this is, you know, it's it's not uncommon to see people come in and they say, oh my gosh, look at my dividend portfolio. These companies are paying dividends of 15%. Say, okay, well, if they're paying dividends of 15%, Sometimes that's because a dividend's really high. Sometimes that's because they're paying a dividend, but the price of that stock has dropped significantly. And it could be a sign of turmoil or it could be a sign of a distressed company when they're paying dividends that high as well. So it's not as simple as just saying higher dividends equals better companies. It could be the opposite in some cases. Agreed. And even when you get underneath the company level and you start looking at different types of I'm just going to say investment vehicles, you might want to be careful because sometimes you'll see, you know, you'll go start chasing yield is one way to think of it. So you'll go look at that, you know, you'll you'll say, I want to buy back. I want to have a dividend payout of 8% all the time. Well, well, that's really hard to come by, right? So if, if someone's posing that they're giving that to you, they're probably building in what's called a return of capital in addition to a profit stream. So they're just giving you your own cash back on top of paying something out. So just be really, really careful with really high yield dividend payers. Yeah, exactly. Not to mention too, when you're looking at dividend payers, I, some of the stats we were just looking at were just the S&P 500, which is tracking mm-hmm. larger companies. Well, historically, smaller companies have outperformed large companies by a couple percent per year over long mm-hmm. periods of time. More smaller companies or, or a lesser number of smaller companies pay dividends even than those in the S&P 500 simply because they're smaller companies are trying to reinvest or trying to get bigger. Right. So if you're just focusing on dividend payers, not only are you missing out on some of the, the Amazons and Microsofts or the Facebooks, you're also maybe missing out on some of the smaller companies that have historically provided better long-term returns. So it's not to say you shouldn't own dividend companies. In fact, if you didn't own any, you're really missing out on a huge part of the market. But mm-hmm. if that's all you're owning, you're also missing a pretty important part of the market as well. Absolutely. Important to diversify. Important to diversify. And then what about just tax efficiency? What are the tax efficiency implications around dividend investing? Anything that you would add to that? Well, just that it's not. <laughs> now it is <laughs> and it enough. isn't, right? So so a dividend, just, just so you guys, so for the listeners at home, if you have a qualified dividend, it does get a qualified capital gain uh, tax rate of either that 15% or 20% that you're in for your long-term capital gains. So that's nice, but it still does make you pay a tax when the funds come, when they're paid, right? If they're in a taxable account, if they're in an investment account, like a retirement account, like an individual retirement account, 
or 401k, you don't have to pay the tax on dividends then. Yeah. But it isn't, it's not as, you know, the interesting thing is companies can actually do something else that James just briefly mentioned called a, a, a repurchase or, a, you know, they can go purchase their own shares back in the open market, essentially. And it will do the same thing mathematically as a dividend payment, yeah. but it's more tax efficient. So they're, it's not, I wouldn't say, ta- you know, they're not very tax efficient in taxable accounts, but what do you think? What do you have to add to that? I think you probably have some good color to add here. Let's say you have two investments, both worth $100. One pays a dividend. Yeah. And one does what you're referring you know, a buyback. And let's say mm-hmm. one pays a $5 dividend, one does a buyback of kind of an equivalent proportional amount. Well, if it pays a $5 dividend, it could be an ordinary dividend or, or, or a, a qualified dividend or an unqualified. Regardless, there's some tax implication on this if it's totally. in a brokerage account. So you end up with your call it hundred dollars plus the dividend minus the tax on that dividend, you know, hundred four dollars, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Versus if that company reinvests in itself and becomes more valuable, or buys back its own shares, and in doing so, the value of the outstanding shares increases. Same impact. But that capital gain isn't actually taxable until you sell the investment. So it's just, it's it's splitting hairs a little bit, but it is important to note, especially if you're going to be doing stuff like asset location, which we've talked about in other episodes. Mm-hmm. If, if you have some investments that are more dividend focused or not as tax efficient, well, if you're owning them, like Scott said, in an IRA or Roth IRA or 401k, doesn't matter because you're not paying taxes on that anyways. But if you're doing it in a brokerage account, it does matter. And so can you own more of the tax efficient stuff, the stuff that's not throwing off dividends, the stuff that's maybe focused more on capital appreciation, that's going to tend to be more tax efficient if you can structure it Mm -hmm. that way. So different things to note on that, but that is important to know. So I think, you know, going back to Chris's question, building a passive income stream, dividend investing, not only can it be important part of that, but if you don't have any dividend stocks, you're kind of, you're just, you're, canceling out a huge part of the market they could be investing in. So it's not necessarily yeah. that dividend investing should be the focus as much as I think what we like to look at is what's the total return of the investments that you're generating, knowing that part of that's going to be dividends, part of that's going to be appreciation, part of that's maybe going to be interest. But really, if you can have the combination of those three things be as high as possible, maybe not as high as possible, but the the, the most appropriate, as appropriate as possible for your needs, that's more of the route that we prefer to see people going. Yeah. And just to piggyback on what James is saying, when he says total return, total return just means, you know, a lot of times dividend investors. And I remember my, like my, my grandparents being focused on dividends and dividends are great. Right. And for value stocks, like oil companies and, and telecom companies. And like, these are the places we see lots of dividend payers, more value stocks, more mature companies typically is kind of what we're describing here. You can get really solid cash flow streams from them and that's great. And but if we just focus on the dividend, it's missing the component of the stock appreciating over time. And stocks as a whole, if we invest in a globally diversified manner, 
do typically, as far as history tells us to this point, have always hit higher highs over time. So if you look at the total, the totality of the appreciation and the dividends together, you typically end up better off when you go look at the history than just focusing on the dividend stream alone. Yeah. So to James's point, investing globally where we're investing in growth stocks and in value stocks, dividend payers and non-dividend payers, investing internationally, investing in the U.S., investing in emerging markets, maybe investing in bonds so that we can have some interest and some stability in those downturns that we're worried about for having that passive income stream. That can create a really resilient income stream and might get you to your financial freedom number faster than simply focusing on having enough dividend payers to create the cash flow stream that we need. Yeah. Fully agree. And I think this last decade even was a perfect example of that. Of I'll, I'll see a lot of people come to me and say, hey, look, here's my dividend portfolio. And they love it and say, great, you know, it pays a pretty healthy dividend. But the capital appreciation has been horrendous on these companies the, the past yeah. decade. And yeah. so the dividend that you're getting 10 years ago is still the same dividend pretty much you're getting today. And in some cases, is even offset by negative returns of some of these stocks. You know, when people come in with a handful of eight stocks, 10 stocks, and not even a full diversified dividend stream versus had you had this more total return type approach invested in a more diversified way, which still has those dividend payers, but also has some of the growth investments, the starting dividend was lower, but the total return has been significantly higher over that time period by having that much more built out and much more robust portfolio. So, right. And it might've ended up being more efficient because the percentage of growth happening in capital appreciation versus in dividends, if it's all taxable, probably made it more tax efficient. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that's a good summary. And Chris, yes, it's great. We like, we like dividends. We like dividend investing. But that's not kind of the be-all, end-all to the strategy that we like to see when we're designing portfolios for clients. Anything else you'd add to this, Scott? No, just thank you so much for your questions and please keep them coming. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is it for this time and we will see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.